Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to The Men of Valor Program. We're coming to you from the frozen tundra of Minnesota. This is our time of the year for temperatures to uh, occasionally plummet. So uh, we're going into a weekend where I think for the first time uh, the temperatures are going to be below zero. Is that not what That's what the forecast is showing us. I, I see we have a uh, low of three below tomorrow morning with a high of eight during the day. So uh, that would be considered pretty cold. Well, as my dentist said this morning... Uh, we won't care because we'll be inside. And, uh, <laughs> I've ca- I've canceled all outdoor activities yeah, for the all day. All outdoor cavity problems or whatever. So um, yeah, so we're uh, hardy. We're used to it. We're uh, actually live longer because of it, according to research. So I guess we're trying to justify it. But here we are, and we've got men coming here tomorrow from all over the country, including California and Florida. So. We hope they know how to appropriately dress. Well, it'll be an eye-opening experience for them on several different levels. An eye-opening and a mouth-opening and yeah, <laughs> yeah, OMG moment. That's right. Okay, well, we're going to continue today uh, with our series on the 12 steps. And uh, today we come to step uh, three. Step number one, I'm just, I just finally printed up the 12 steps directly from the Alcoholics Anonymous official site so that I made sure that I had the, the wording exactly right. Uh, I've uh, you know used them so long and spoken them so long that I think I may have taken a couple liberties here. But So number one that we talked about two weeks ago, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So we talked about that one. It's number two last week, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. The second and third steps are generally considered to be the uh, spirituality main portion of the steps. And number three, this is the one we're going to talk about today, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him, with a capital H. So we talked last week about the fact that uh, there were so many men primarily coming into AA in the early days, and by the early days I'm talking about the the late 1930s and uh, on into the 1940s, that um, had been somehow judged, uh, called names, uh, received a significant amount of uh, what I think we have to look at as spiritual abuse at the hands of the church or the church leaders or pastors, that for some of them, uh, a lot of them, too religious a language about God or about Jesus, um, they just experienced as being uh, offensive. And so the the 12 uh, steps were kind of, in a way, spiritually dumbed down. And so in step two, you have the introduction of the concept of a higher power, a power greater than ourselves. Now in step three, they do specifically mention the care of God but then go on to say, as we understand God. So there's no real definition uh, or you know feeling of some kind of 
Christian belief system that you have to hold on to in, in order to work the steps or be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, of course, in this series, Mark, our intention here is to show uh, the uh, the correlation to sexual addiction. Right. That be- is right. Yeah. Be- because That's these 12 right. steps are equally uh, powerful in uh, being used as uh, helpful guidelines for any man struggling with an addiction, whether that be alcohol or sex. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't remember what the total is locally here, but there's there's probably at least 75 different groups uh, using the 12 steps that are listed at a directory of 12-step groups here in the Twin Cities. And, you know, the Twin Cities in Minnesota in general has been the home of alcohol treatment. It was where the first inpatient treatment center for alcoholism was back in the 40s. So, you know, we've had a lot of activity here, but there's some, I, I don't even remember all of them, but, you, you know, according to this list, you can be addicted to just about anything, you know. Right. My favorites would be, obviously, AA, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Overeaters Anonymous for the food addicts, Gamblers Anonymous, Workaholic Anonymous, there is actually a group for that. Um, there's a group, uh, Narcissists Anonymous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> for... <laughs> <laughs> but, but enough about me. Why don't but, you talk well, about about me now? Well, you know, the, the <clears throat> question would the, the, therefore be, is that a group that I should go to? I <laughs> or admit, perhaps lead. <laughs> yeah, I admitted I was powerless over myself, but let me talk more about myself. Uh, no, I don't know. But anyway, there's just, you know, they've been, they've been borrowed. They, they technically, they have to be borrowed with the permission of AA to, to officially use them, and you have to put at the bottom... That uh, used by permission, used by permission mm-hmm. of Alcoholics Anonymous. Years ago, Debbie and I. Uh, years ago, by that I mean about thirty years ago, when we moved up here, we went to a workshop with uh, Pat Carnes that at the time was called the We Came to Believe Workshop, and you can understand that that was patterned after the second step, but it was for couples. And uh, as a result of that workshop, Debbie and I decided to continue to meet with several of the local couples that were around here. And uh, we started meeting at, at Perkins on, uh, well, one of the local Perkins. Yeah. You know, Not everyone around the country is going to know where this one is. But uh, we met there, and uh, we decided to adapt the 12 steps and to translate them into couples' language. So, for example, step one is we admitted we were powerless over our relationship and that our life lives together had become unmanageable. And that, that uh, movement, Recovering Couples Anonymous, is uh, a worldwide movement now. They have national office. They have national meetings every year. Uh, Debbie and I haven't participated in a long time, but that's neither here nor there uh, as to why we... Uh, well, I can tell you, we became uninvolved because we felt they were going in a direction in terms of inclusivity, in terms of what couples they would take in, and we just didn't theologically agree with that. So that was a big part of the reason... But uh, anyway, the 12 steps have been used for a lot of things. And, you know, there's so many people coming into it. Uh, You know, certainly Muslims and people of the Jewish faith and people of other faiths. So, you know, I think there is room in the 12 steps for those that come from different religious traditions, if they're still practicing those traditions, to, you know, consider God as they do. You know, however they envision God or they they look to God or however they worship God. Mm But yes, we are, in our work with the men, we are 
basically asking them to, first of all, acknowledge that they are powerless over lust and that their lives have become unmanageable. Then we're asking them to uh, at least come to believe that uh, it's only God himself and a relationship with Jesus Christ that can uh, uh, completely restore us to sanity. And then third, now we get to this, and I, you know, I really think that this is the hardest step of the 12. You know, it, it really is. So we surrendered the will and control of our lives to God as we understood him. So the act of surrender, uh, I think, is one of the most uh, difficult things for any of us to do. Well, it certainly proves, Mark, as you have outlined for us here, uh, the relevancy and universal nature of this uh, 12-step program. Mm -hmm. I mean, for it to be applied and being used by roughly 75 different uh, groups, Mm -hmm. uh, it it certainly is a tried and true Mm -hmm. uh, list of um, steps to follow, that's for sure. Well, one of the interesting things about it, though, is that... uh, and this is not generally well-known out there, but there was a whole uh, philosophy that came along 20 years ago uh, or so called harm reduction. Uh, Harm reduction, I don't have a lot of time to fully explain it, but they basically came to uh, treating addiction and saying, like, for example, if you were a major league alcoholic and you were drinking lots of whiskey or really hard liquor, uh, maybe... Uh, reducing harm would mean that you could switch to two-point-something beer or whatever it was. If you were smoke, uh, doing heroin, then maybe doing her- uh, marijuana uh, reduces the harm. And uh, certainly in the field of sex addiction, if you were having affairs or seeing prostitutes or you know doing illegal activity, certainly if all you did on a daily basis was look at pornography and masturbate, you know that's certainly reducing harm. But what, one of the reasons that this movement made some headway is because they were recognizing how, um, at some point, ineffective the 12 steps were. And uh, they claimed, and I think they're technically right, that it's really only uh, 20% or so of the men or women who show up in an AA meeting who actually find long-term sobriety. Uh, so those statistics are not very good, and it goes to show you that you know, it's a rigorous path, and if you're not willing to do whatever it takes, as AA would say, and as, you know, we talk about at our men's workshop, uh, are you willing to get well? You know, there, there's not a lot of people that have success, you know, through the 12 steps. So uh, there's got to be more to it, and uh, I believe that obviously there is. What's your personal um, and slash professional uh, opinion for that relatively low rate of success? Well, I do think it's because, uh, first of all, a lot of people come and they're, they're hoping it's a magic answer. Yeah, they mean well. They mean well. They, a part of them wants to get free of alcohol. Uh, but I think the main reason is they're not willing to do the hard work. They're not willing to go to, like AA would say, 90 days, 90 meetings, or in other words, a meeting a day for the next 90 days. Uh, they're not willing to do the hard work of, of working the steps and having a sponsor and you know, all of that, it, it just be, becomes inconvenient for them. Um, they'd like for the solution to be handed to them on some kind of a silver platter. So when we say we're powerless, you know, in step one, you know, some of the people come to it and they want other people to have the power so that uh, they can just basically tell them what to do and they'll be fine. 
they don't realize that once they admit their powerlessness, uh, that God is still going to ask us to do some of the hard work. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. So. Well, listen, let, let's take our break at this point, Mark, and, and now that we have uh, introduced the third step, and when we come back, we can continue uh, your, uh, your explanation about this important uh, yeah. uh, step of the 12 steps. You're listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. Nobody loves me like you love me. struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the week, Randy. Uh, we were, in fact, as we often do, talking about this in our staff meeting today at lunch. And uh, the wives, uh, Debbie and Sherry, were encouraging us to, you know, come up with uh, our own. Debbie was mentioning something about the attire getting so much more explicit at the French Open. Not the French Open, the Australian Open. But she also mentioned one that, I, in fact, came up this week because we had a guy here who had been sober for about six months and uh, he completely relapsed into having affairs. One of the things or one of the factors that uh, he attributed it to was he was getting regularly raked over the coals and and treated very badly uh, by his uh, boss at work. So uh, the trigger of the week is uh, when we get criticism out there in the world, whether it's at our companies and our marriages or, you know, sometimes even at church, I guess, when we feel criticized, um, that's going to make us more vulnerable to uh, need the neurochemical drug of our uh, sexual lust and arousal. And that just proves, as you have spoken about before, that a trigger does not have to be a sexual, have a sexual component to it. That's right. You know, it uh, many times can be something that uh, just creates a, a stressor within us right. uh, that pushes us towards acting out. Makes us more emotionally vulnerable. Yeah, Alcoholics Anonymous talked about it in terms of halt or being hungry, angry, lonely, tired. 
around here, we talk about those things, and then we talk about boredom, we talk about anxiety, you know, and those kinds of things. And uh, certainly, uh, shame uh, is a huge trigger into our addictions. And uh, if we get criticized someplace, uh, for those of us that haven't uh, fully worked on the shame, then, uh, you know, that uh, kind of criticism can put us in a very vulnerable spot. Definitely set, set you off there, yeah. Well, let's return our listeners, Mark, to today's show in which we're talking about step number three of the 12 steps. Well, basically, the steps are built on each other. So step two is kind of came to believe that God could uh, do some things here. And uh, step three is surrendering the will and control. So I guess one of the first things to think about uh, when we think about this step is what are you trying to control? You know, uh, what is your will telling you uh, needs to be managed or controlled by you? So remember, step one, we're talking about unmanageability, but, but what in your life? Now, one of the things the men recognize early on is that they are uh, rather codependent in terms of uh, wanting to manage uh, the emotions and the presence and the attention and affirmation of their wives. So even after, you know, disclosing, you know, horrendous sexual sins, uh, they're still going to want to be fixers. They're still going to want to do things that will be what they hope will be pleasing to their wife so that they will be forgiven and they will be, you know, received back home and, you know, all of those kind of things. So I think one of the things a lot of the men need to surrender the control of in the early days is trying to manage their wives. And uh, when you start talking to them about that and having patience and letting your wife work her own program, you know, that's where we see a lot of uh, kickback and a lot of anger. Uh, Sometimes in group, it's uh, been a lot of language uh, uh, and so forth. But because, you know, in a way, surrendering the control is asking uh, a man to be patient, you know, and say, you know, uh, it's not really uh, anything that you're doing that is going to determine whether your wife stays or leaves. So um, I guess I ask the men a lot of times, uh, how are you doing uh, in your job of trying to manage your wife's emotions? And uh, they pretty much all say, well, you know, terrible. And I'd say, well, then, you know, what prevents you from surrendering it? Right. Well, it's the anxiety, you know, that I need to control something. And I, you know, I think those things that we're the most anxious about are the one are the things that that we have the hardest time surrendering control of. Hmm. Well, as you said, so often uh, narcissism seems to go hand in hand with so many of the guys that that you are counseling. Uh, and is that part of the driving force behind them tr- wanting to control their wives at the same time? Just because it would, yeah. yeah, I want you to look at me like I look at me, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Well, narcissist, I've always thought, you know, I've always called narcissism a blessing disorder, meaning that narcissists never felt like they got, you know, much affirmation. They didn't get unconditional love from their parents. That's, uh, that's blessing. And so what they try to do is promote themselves and puff themselves up, number one, so that they'll get affirmation. But I think also... They're hoping, strangely enough, despite all the magnificent things that they claim to have done, that uh, they're blessable. They uh, are unconditionally loved. So the way to disarm a narcissist, actually, I think, has always been to give them a compliment and say, you know, no matter what you've done or no matter who you are, you know, I do love and accept you uh, for who you are. That, you know, that's the way to 
to get a narcissist to stop talking about himself or herself. You look great in that sweater today. Well, I appreciate it. But see, that's an <laughs> affirmation. Would, would I be equally lovable if I came in here in tattered rags? I've never seen you in tattered rags. Well, I know. Uh, well, <laughs> that's a hard question for me to answer. Well, see, that's what makes sometimes these steps rather hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think the easiest way to understand it is, uh, for those of us that have children, to think about our children. I mean, if, if is, you know, their children can do a lot of stupid, crazy things. Uh, as you and I both know, Randy, and uh, but does that get does that stop us from loving them and telling no. us that we love them? No. Uh, so that's really kind of what we're hoping for from God. So uh, do we really think uh, in this step that God is technically in control of things? You mm-hmm. know that He uh, has a, a will not to harm us, uh, but to prosper us. Uh, his timetable in terms of doing some good things for us, may not be ours. But are we willing to wait and be patient uh, for God to work things out? You know? Well, hearing you say this, Mark, uh, you know, I guess maybe because we've had so, shared so many conversations about this uh, together and we've done so many of these podcasts, but you know, that all ties around to me when I hear you say that, uh, the fact that we're all always uh, telling the, the men that, uh, number one, uh, to... Realize that God has a plan for all of us. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And number two, there's no sin that God is unwilling yep. to forgive us for. That's and right. when you when you do understand that and mm-hmm. accept it and buy into that, yep. all of a sudden that that takes away so many of the negative things that we allow ourselves to feel about ourselves. Well, that's right. That's 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 part of the the step. You know, surrender the will and control of your life. You know, it also means to accept that you have been saved. You know that. That God has already done that work, you know, that uh, uh, that's been accomplished for us. And basically what we need to do is uh, surrender to that, you know, that, that God is in control and has been in control, has a plan. And, yeah, I mean, you got to bring both the Old and the New Testament to this, that God uh, has a plan for history, has a plan for our lives. He wants to prosper us. Prosper uh, may mean a lot of different things, and, you know, our definition of prospering may not be God's, but also we need to know in our addictions and in you know all of our stuff, uh, whatever it has been, our history, that God uh, forgives us and he forgets it. I mean, that's the, one of the great things that Paul teaches is that God not only forgives it, but he doesn't remember it. You know, it, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> God is omniscient. I mean, he's all-knowing. Uh, doesn't that mean that he always keeps a memory of everything we've done? Uh, but that's not what Paul writes about. But anyway, uh, we need to accept that grace that has been fully given. That's the first step of this, and that's really step two. Step three is, okay, if we accept the fact that God's got a good plan, then what prevents us from letting go of control to that? Well, I'll tell you, you know, the, the number one block to this step is anxiety. And uh, I talk every day, I talk to some man or a, a group of men about anxiety. And uh, the, it's like hey, anxiety has the ability to hijack our brain, you know. I was talking to a guy that uh, I dearly love uh, up in Michigan yesterday with his wife. We were doing a couple session, and his major struggle, he's been sober for like four or five years now, but his still, his struggle is anxiety. And, you know, when you have that kind of anxiety like like he has, it's like you've, you try to organize your life. I mean, the will and control of your life is to organize your life so that you avoid harmful things. And if someone comes along and interrupts your plan for your life, like your wife, who says, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, 
that, that renovation you did down in the basement, there's a problem with the mirror. You need to take that back and exchange it. And he got completely uh, ticked off at her uh, because it wasn't in his plan right. <laughs> to take that mirror back. He thought he'd accomplished everything he needed to do down he there. He thought the mirror looked perfect. It looked perfect. And he was hoping that all of the renovation he spent so much time on would uh, be totally pleasing to her. And there was some little detail uh, that legitimately um, she needed adjusted. I think it had to do with height or the dimensions of the mirror or something like that. And uh, whatever it was, it's like he got really upset at her because she interrupted his plan. And uh, if we're still holding on to our plan, you know, our wives and others can come along and interrupt it, and we will get angry about it. So much, uh, I'm just interesting, as I was just getting into this, I just kind of leaned back in my chair and kind of like let the weight of my body drop into the chair. You know, it's like there's a point at which we need to relax. I think one of the ways to fully get into this step is to meditate on this step, mm -hmm. you know, and let God continue to speak to us about what, what in fact, is the major obstacles that we have in terms of trying to control our lives. I, I think for me, you know, the, the, one of the most obvious ones to let go of is, you know, trying to control my health because I have a number of health issues. Uh, and there's, you know, there's those people out there preaching the supplements and this diet and, you know, cancer-free this and whatever. And uh, we're led to believe that if we eat the right things, do the right things, exercise enough, that uh, we'll be in control of our health. And, you know, I've had so many interruptions to my health. I know after a lifetime of exercise and a lifetime of being a diabetic and eating right, that I still develop other problems. And, you know, that's in the will and control of God. Like Bob Harper from The Biggest Loser, the workout guru. I, yeah, I don't know him. But okay, yeah. Bob okay. Harper, um, one of the top people when at the height of popularity of The Biggest Loser. Yeah. Very fit. Great trainer, yeah. great motivator, all this kind of thing. Yeah. The picture of health. Had a heart attack two years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now you see Bob Harper on TV promoting a, uh, a new supplement or, okay. or yeah. cardiac medicine because it's like, if I can have a heart attack, you know, anybody can have a heart attack. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so it just proves that point that you're saying. Um, how can we wrap up today's uh recognition of yeah. step three uh, to our listeners. How can they take step three and move forward? Well, I think the way to move forward with any of the steps, and certainly step three, is to recognize that it's that we're not asking you to do a one-time shot here. You know, we're not asking you, okay, you've heard the show, you feel convicted, surrender the control and will of your life to God. Well, I think we do that uh, on a daily basis. You know, those of us that are saved can recognize a time when we felt like we really surrendered our life to God. But that is an ongoing surrender. I mean, uh, we surrender and then we take it back. I mean, I, so uh, just know out there that this is a daily path of prayer, uh, encouragement and support from others, and uh, a daily path of, uh, of meditation on uh, uh, what we all need to let go of control of. You have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we thank you for joining us today on the Men of Valor program. Our hope is that this week is going to be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com. 